Does quarantine stink? It doesn't have to. Introducing Lydates, the new luxury candle line by the Lit Society podcast. Each aromatic experience is inspired by literature, from The Great Gatsby to Sula by Toni Morrison. Each candle instantly transports you into the setting that inspired its creation. Discover Lydates today by visiting L-O-V-E-L-I-T-O-T-E-S. That's lovelightatees.com. Again, lovelightatees, L-O-V-E-L-I-T-O-T-E-S.com. Or visit lovelightatees on Instagram and Facebook. Lightatees, they're not your average fragrances. A naive and homely young woman in her early 20s escapes a future devoid of opportunity and excitement by marrying a wealthy widower named Maxim de Winter. She soon learns that the memory of his dead wife hunts both him and his entire world. The book is Rebecca. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit. Let's get lit. Readers, this is Alexis. Hi, this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Yep. How you doing, Kari? Girl, I'm great. Well, that's good news. Mm -hmm. How you doing? Very positive. You know, um, I'm doing well. (laughs) I got to see, hear from someone that Uh I haven't heard from in a really long time. Is this someone you fell out with? (laughs) No. Uh, No. What's less exciting? So you just haven't seen this person. I haven't seen them in ages. I was on LinkedIn and I saw them comment on somebody else's and I was like, I'm going to reach out to them. Oh, that's so cool. And I reached out to them and they responded. It seemed a little dry at first, Mm -hmm. but I said, well, I haven't spoken with them in so long. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're kind of processing who is this person today? Right. What did I know about them in the past? They ended up calling me and it was like, I felt so good after that. Mm -hmm. They like, rejuvenated me for the oh, day I love that it was really refreshing to speak with them I spoke with them for like 10 minutes it was mm-hmm. great so oh I love to hear that yeah so anything new with you I know you just said you're great but you ain't no. got nothing for me okay Not really. pass listen the readers <laughs> say stop talking and chit-chatting so we is moving on okay. snap popping and crackling each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading so we're reading Rebecca it's got a lot of things in it but this week I think we should focus on May-December romances. Ooh. Do we know what those are? Uh, hot and cold romances? Like, well, you're hot and you're cold and yes and you're no. And no. Let Ooh. me tell you what Urban Dictionary says. Please. They say, it's romantic involvement of two parties between whom there is a considerable age difference. Often because oh, one individual... Demi Ashton has an ulterior motive, such as money, status. They say the reason behind this designation is that while one person is young and in the spring of his or her life, thus May, the other is in winter, ergo December. That's what it says. Yeah, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, but when you see these people, sometimes they're like visually unmatched, right? 
Oh, I don't like to do that, but yes. Well, you might think they're the parent child. Oh, yes. That's that, uncomfortable. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, it may take a second for them to be looked or you identify them as a couple, right? It may yeah. take a second. And even then it's like weird. <laughs> uh, when a woman, older woman gets involved with a younger man, she's referred to as a cougar. Yay. <laughs> when a young woman gets involved with an older man, he's referred to as what? A man. Pretty much. <laughs> but for the woman, it's considered her sugar daddy, right? Oh, if he's rich. What if he's not rich? Yeah. What if he's not rich? Then what? <laughs> he's just a man he's just a man and she's just a woman but then there's also names like um sugar mama trophy <laughs> wife trophy husband then there's expressions like robbing the cradle right society is so judgmental yeah we put labels on everything it's like necessary mm-hmm. oh. it's necessary <laughs> do you believe age ain't nothing but a number me yeah Oh, I don't know. I don't like to get in people's business. All this I know is, is what business. This is yeah, a discussion is because I have never personally um, been in a relationship with an older man. I will say that what about a younger man. No, that's really ah! no. <laughs> you like Come on. Um, why? I mean, you just blew that off. There are women married to younger men who respect and love them very much. I remember when I was in my 20s, I met a man in his early 20s that was married to a woman in her 50s. Um, my grandmother knew them. I don't know about their lives like that, but it was she was. I don't. I don't even know if they were still married. And I also remember a couple on a vacation we took together where the guy was older. And I think they married at like 16 or 17 years old and they were still married. Me and you, where'd we go? We went to Italy. Okay, okay. You don't remember them? Not really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they had been married a number of years. Can I be really real for a second? Please. As long as both parties are adults, what matters most is that You can have respect for each other and love for each other. Mm -hmm. After that, what matters is their family. Is this a family you can be a part of? Um, So if you're 20 and you're dating someone that's 50, is this someone you can respect and love? I mean, do you have something to talk about where you are mentally harmonious? Yeah. So one of the things um, that I saw as I was looking into this is that generational gaps, like, I don't think anything of, yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe a two to three year difference. I don't think that's a big deal. I mean, generations are social constructs created by marketing agencies to sell you Pepsi. But still, if you got when you're 20 and 50, that is two generations. I mean, yeah. World events have happened. You guys did process in the same way. So the the I agree with you and that the key needs to be that there's a mutual respect and that gas up. Do you have to have things in common? Is it necessary to have? I don't really think you have to have. I mean, major things like your core beliefs. Yeah, that's important. Aside from that. Nah, I think I've always thought it's more interesting if you guys don't have that much in common outside of core beliefs, because I'm not trying to. Yeah, you get to see a different side, a different side of the world. Yeah, I I love that. I love the idea that you're meeting a whole family and especially if you can get close to the family naturally, then you have now an extension of yourself that lives in a world you never knew about. And that's Mm -hmm. a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
That is very cool. Mm-hmm. Women just mature at a different level. They do. They absolutely <laughs> It seems do. to be. Women can just mentally be older than a lot of men. So if I see a 50-year-old man with a 30-year-old woman, that might be, they might be on an even playing field. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't know. I don't know. Do you think May-December romances can work? I do. I do think they can work. I believe that you have to respect the individual and your goals need to be aligned in some way. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important. I think when you're dating and marrying someone around your age, you're learning lessons together Mm -hmm. and that can be very cool. But if you can get the cheat codes and be with somebody who's learned them lessons and you're the personality that will just accept those lessons secondhand and then Mm -hmm. that older person can also appreciate the things that you're bringing to the table. Yeah, that can definitely work, man or woman. Yeah, I think so. But what kind of guy do you have to be to get the respect of an older woman? You got to already be something. You do have to be something. So you could be, there could be like a 13 year difference. That's not a lot. That's not? Mm -mm. It can be if the man is not mature. Say a woman is 40 and the guy is like, what is that? But that's like 25, 38. That to me isn't a big deal. It depends on the maturity level of the men. Maybe how accomplished he is. Not that he needs to be. Oh, you gold digger. <laughs> oh, that is another one. Gold digger. <laughs> yeah, that's it's not that um, he needs to be rich, but capable. Oh, who don't want a capable man? Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if you're 23 and dating somebody else that's 23. He should be capable. Yeah, but, but they're out there. And your idea of capability changes to the older you get. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So a 40 year old woman may want um, something a lot Stability. more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't care what age you are. Don't marry someone that tells you, shut up, you little idiot. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you call manipulative behavior. Let's take a quick break. Great. Ari. Yes. Welcome back. Woo. Let's get a little context and then a little something about the author. How about that? Sure. So Daphne de Maurier was born in London, England, 1907. (laughs) She's the middle of three daughters and her parents were like, I think famous actors. But anyway, so they were in the biz. Her connections in the literary world helped her to start and cement her career as a writer. However, she did face accusations of plagiarism, like really? all the greats. Yeah. So two of her works, The Birds and Rebecca, were made into movies by Alfred Hitchcock. He really liked Greatness. her storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but these same works, first Rebecca, a literary critic, and others accused her of plagiarizing the works of a Brazilian author, Brazilian writers, Carolina Nabucco. Really? And then for The Birds, Frank Baker wrote a novel called The Birds, which um, Daphne du Maurier did have some, like she she was around the work. <laughs> so she may have stolen the idea. But didn't she also say that Rebecca was based on her life? Did she say that? Mm-hmm. There are elements of the book based on her life, but the overall themes of the story, some have argued were stolen from this book, um, mm-hmm. The Successor. Okay. Um, There's also very salacious gossip about her personal life, but this has been denied by her children. However, she did admit to being like a tomboy and she had very uh, masculine sensibilities trapped in a homely woman's body. Mm -hmm. Um, The setting for Manderley, to your point, um, the storybook estate in Rebecca 
was influenced by a much smaller real life home that Daphne fell in love with called Minabilly. Yeah, Minabilly, Mm -hmm. a historic estate on the south coast of Cornwall, England. It was dilapidated when she found it full of rats. I know. And but she just loved it. It was like one of those tucked in the forest type of yeah, storybook homes. Mm -hmm. Several years after writing Rebecca, she leased the manor from the family who's been owning it since the 16th century and restored it as best she could, but eventually had to give that back to the family in 67. Um, She was also given the title of dame, which, you know, is like knight, Mm -hmm. but for women. Yeah. She didn't tell nobody. I don't know. She seemed embarrassed by it. Her children found out she was a dame in the newspaper. (laughs) So she never used the title. Um, She was married to Lieutenant General Sir Frederick Browning um, in 1932. And until his death in 1965, they had three children together. And she herself died in 1989 at the age of 81. 81. Long life. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Yeah. I kind of picked up that she based it a little bit on her first husband's wife, who ended up, um, I believe, committing suicide or something. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't read that. Yeah. Let's get a brief synopsis that does not include spoilers. No spoilers in the synopsis. No problem. Rebecca's the story of a young girl swept away by a much older, attractive, wealthy, older, older widower. (laughs) (laughs) That is so exaggerated. No, he's like old. He's like double her age. Okay. Um, she's plucked from her world and placed inside his like a dandelion in a rose bush. Unsure who she is as a person, she must also contend with the memory of his dead wife, a woman who personified beauty, femininity, and grace. Rebecca. To save her life and her sanity, our girl must uncover the dark secrets that threaten her existence. She must do this alone, no matter the cost. What were your first thoughts of this book? I was actually very excited to get into Rebecca because I had seen the movie. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, I don't remember the movie. I probably watched it in my youth and maybe once or twice as an adult. But as I started to read, I started to visualize it. Oh, so did that spoil the book for you? It did not. Okay, good. It It did not. The reading of this book Reminds me of a book of the past that we've read. Vallette. Yes. And that it is very wordy. Filled with words. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of words to describe very little. That's hard. (laughs) But uh, let's get your thoughts. My first first thoughts of Rebecca were, um, I mean, it has been called all the things. One of the greatest English fictions of our time. Um, so I was ready to, I was excited about diving into it and that's it. I didn't really give it much thought. I did see the Alfred Hitchcock movie, but it was so long ago. I, and I've seen it probably like five times, Mm -hmm. but I've tried to force myself not to remember that. And that worked well for me. I didn't remember the ending, but I did guess it as it got a little farther along in the book. What, What was the point of, um, Blacking it out, or yeah, I don't to... really want to remember the movie before I read a book because all the twists and turns I've been there already, and they're not exciting. Oh wow, yeah, I did not remember the end of the book. I was trying to remember what it was as I was reading Good. it, and it did not come to me. And as far as the flowery language is concerned, I enjoyed this though. Like it did take a winding road to get to each and every point. Oh boy. 
but I liked her style of writing. It it really relaxed me. It was like a massage for my brain. No, ma'am. So let me tell you how to read books. Um, I'm going to say books like this, what you call flowery language. <laughs> Wordy word books yes. with lots of words. So I'm, I, as I'm reading and along and I seem like it's just really describing things that <laughs> bores me. So I jump to the next section where there's conversation. Oh, wow. Yes, I do. I have no shame not reading these books. However, I begin to feel bad and I go back and read it. Every time you do this, you feel bad. I do. <laughs> and then I realized I shouldn't feel bad because when I read it, I realize it wasn't worth reading. I did not learn anything important. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a style of writing. I enjoy it. Yeah. It depends on how you describe things. If you're, Giving me word pictures and similes and illustrations. Oh, I eat that up. I eat that stuff up. She's describing. It's like a vacation for the mind. I don't know. I don't know. I need to learn more about life and stuff. So. <laughs> so you don't need to have a vacation for the mind. Your mind. No, need I need to, to be okay. learning something all the time. I agree. Okay. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Mm -hmm. So, why don't we take a deep dive into the book? Let's do it. A Deep Dive into Rebecca by the Lit Society Podcast. Part one, from the cradle to the Manderley. <laughs> the opening line of this book is considered uh, one of the greatest opening lines in English fiction. Did you know that, Alexis? Yes, I did. Thank no, you. you. Okay, bye. Last night, I dreamed I went to Manderley again. That's it. It's all right. Our heroine um, is without parents. Her father died. They were madly in love. Her father died and soon after her mother died. So she's now trying to find her way in the world in her early 20s. Um, she lacks the pedigree and the connections to be a huge success. So she finds herself as a hired companion to a Mrs. Van Hooper. Mrs. Van Hooper is probably upper class, but like lower upper class. And I say that because she's classless. She loves to talk, gossip and meddle in the business of others to make herself seem important and connected. Everyone, however, sees through her and is annoyed by her. Mm -hmm. And our heroine has to like, you know, m jump whenever she says jump. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, do all of her bidding. It's quite humiliating. It is. It seems that way, right? As people are rolling their eyes and yeah. So um, they're on this resort in Monte Carlo mm -hmm. and they see at a table across from them during lunch, Max de Winter, the famous widower. She approaches Max for coffee and he kindly asked, asks both girls to join him for coffee. He meets her nosiness with sarcasm. But she's aloof and somewhat stupid, so she doesn't know that he's <laughs> replying in, you know, these tongue-in-cheek ways. She get it. Mm -mm. And then he sends a note, but to our girl, apologizing for his rudeness. Not to Miss Van Hooper. The next day, Miss Van Hooper gets a slight flu. Did you think she was sick? No, the girl she just as well said sick. that. Yeah, mm -hmm. she probably, like, sneezed once and was like, I have the flu. But the doctor does say she needs to be in bed. Influenza. And so, yeah. And so our girl has to have lunch without her employer. 
She then finds herself at the table of a man, Max de Winter. <laughs> he is easy on the eyes. That's what they say. And he takes her on a drive where he almost drives off a cliff. Dude. I have to repeat again. He's very attractive. So all of these things are just chalked up as mysterious. <laughs> They're exciting. Yeah. Especially so she's to like totally girl. weirded out though. But you know, she ain't got no family. She ain't got no life. So she's like, but if he keeps asking me to drive with him, I'm, I'm going to go because I don't have anything else to do. And he's just being nice. She apparently didn't like tennis. Mm. Oh, right. She's supposed to be taking tennis lessons during these times, but she's off on a drive with Max. Um, so these drives become their daily ritual, unbeknownst to Miss Van Hooper. During these drives, she falls in love with him and his moody mysteriousness. Yeah, he almost drove off a cliff, so he didn't. And we're still alive and he's high and he's rich. So that's her. When Mrs. Van Hooper recovers from her illness and suddenly decides to live in New York with her daughter... Our girl goes into a panic. Oh, she my did. goodness. She I'll never stressed. see Max again in my life. She finds him at the last moment before their departure. And he proposes to her in the most loveless, unromantic way possible while devouring biscuits over breakfast solo. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. she already had breakfast with her employer, uh, Mrs. Van Hooper. And he's like, what are you talking about? You're leaving. Sit down. And he orders some biscuits and jam. And he, you know, he got, so you have two choices. <laughs> okay. You can go to New York with her or you can come to Manderley with me. And she's like, what? And he's like, hey, you little idiot. I'm trying to marry you. <laughs> and she's like, oh. Uh, uh, and he goes, well, I thought you loved me. She goes, I do love you, Max. I do. I was just, I couldn't even sleep. I was just thinking how much I'm going to miss you if I'll never see you again. He's like, oh. Great. I'll go tell her that you're marrying me and you won't be going to New York. He said, what an attack on the ego. <laughs> so Manderley. Manderley is his picturesque storybook estate. And it's like a little castle, right? Out in the suburbs of London. Um, do they have suburbs? The countryside. The yeah. countryside and of England. And they sell postcards of this. They even sell postcards uh, at souvenir shops with his home printed on it. Mm -hmm. So she's thinking in her mind, what? I went from being a nobody to marrying Max de Winter and living at Manderley. And so Max is like, ha, 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 ha. You'll make a splendid wife. Let's go tell uh, Mrs. Van Hooper. And he meets with Miss Van Hooper alone to break the news. Mm -hmm. He then comes out and says, she took it like a champ. See ya, wife to be. <laughs> <laughs> he did kind of do that. And then Miss Van Hooper and our girl are left alone together. She looked at me curiously. She ran her eyes over my figure. And he tells me he wants to marry you in a few days. Lucky again for you that you have enough family to ask questions. Well, it's nothing to do with me anymore. I wash my hands of the whole affair. I rather wonder what his friends will think but I suppose that's up to him. You realize he's years older than you. He's only 42, and I'm old for my age. She laughed. She dropped her cigarette ash on the floor. You certainly are. She went on looking at me in a way she had never done before, appraising me, running her eyes over my points like a judge at a cattle show. 
There was something inquisitive about her eyes, something unpleasant. Tell me, she said, intimate, a friend to a friend. Have you been doing anything you shouldn't? She was like Blaze, the dressmaker, who had offered me that 10%. I don't know what you mean. She laughed and shrugged her shoulders. Oh, well, never mind. But I've always said English girls were dark horses for all their hockey-playing attitude. So I'm supposed to travel to Paris alone and leave you here while your beau gets a marriage license. I notice he doesn't ask me to the wedding. I don't think he wants anyone. In any way, you would have sailed. To be perfectly frank, my dear, I simply can't see you doing it. You haven't the experience. You don't know that milieu. You can scarcely string two sentences together at my bridge tease. What are you going to say to all his friends? The Mandalay parties were famous when she was alive. Of course, he's told you about all of them. Of course. You know why he's marrying you, don't you? You haven't flattered yourself he's in love with you. The fact is, that empty house got on his nerves to such an extent he nearly went off his head. He admitted as much before you came into the room. He just can't go on living there alone. So Mrs. Van Hooper is trying to warn our girl that um, he's not in love with you, darling. He's just sick of living at Manderley alone. Now, you may have noticed I call the heroine our girl because she remains nameless throughout the book. Mm-hmm. I actually did not realize this until the end of the book. Yeah. Very um, interesting writing on Daphne's part. So part two, dead but not forgotten. Our heroine returns from her brief honeymoon in Italy to Max's famous estate. There she meets the workers of the home, the staff including a Mrs. Danvers, a cold, dark creature of a house overseer. She adored Rebecca and looks at our girl as if she can see through her. She scolds her without a word or gesture. Mm. So this is a very little, frail, not that attractive girl in her early 20s, married to a fully formed 42-year-old tall, dark, handsome, wealthy man. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, huh? This don't look right. So it becomes clear that the east wing of the building where her bedroom is or will be is the inferior wing. It's not facing the sea. It's not as grand as the west. And it was used primarily for guests. The west wing is where Rebecca lived. And their new lives are starting in the east. Where the sun rises. Mm. that symbolism I threw in there means nothing (laughs) she's settling into her daily life and the habits of the staff push her into the routine once lived by Rebecca so as far as where she sits in the house well she has to sit where the fireplace is or it'll be too cold and the fireplace is only in the room where Rebecca used to sit and they have breakfast at the time that Rebecca used to have breakfast and everyone assumes that she is the new Rebecca And she is too weak and too unformed as a person to set her own habit in life, to have her own routine. And so she starts trying to figure out, well, what would Rebecca do? That's like her motto a little bit. She kind of fell into that. Yeah. She sits where Rebecca once sat and tries to understand what she should do based on what Rebecca may have done 
While she's playing this awkward role, she receives a call one day. The caller asks for Mrs. DeWinter and she replies, Mrs. DeWinter is dead. <laughs> oh, that was awkward. She soon realizes her mistake. I literally screamed at that part. No, you idiot. You're Mrs. DeWinter. <laughs> there are two dogs, one old, one young. The older seems to miss Rebecca perpetually waiting for Rebecca to walk into mm-hmm. the room. The youngest Jasper um, becomes close to our girl, but Jasper seems kind of dumb and would like be close to anyone with the treats. <laughs> so just she, um, our girl has this like realization that just as Jasper, the youngest dog sits at her feet, eager for attention and soothed by a pat on the head. She sits near her husband, eager for any signs of affection satiated by a head pat or a kiss yeah she's the dog in the marriage she is the dog in the marriage he's very cold to her he's not very forthcoming with his emotions thoughts she hears him arguing with the staff she walks in and the staff leave and he doesn't tell her what they were discussing she is she it seems that maybe miss van hooper was right and he did only marry her to not be alone in the house yeah so it was same mm-hmm. that's what happens when you don't communicate yeah but she you know, what were her other options? This is still pretty good for her. Yeah, <laughs> she still so, doesn't have to be the hired companion of a dreadful woman. Yeah, she was an experience and her lack of experience um, kind of moved her into, let, let me pick somebody and just kind of follow their path. Mm-hmm. And that became bigger, just really overwhelmingly bigger than it needed to be yeah. in her life. And although Max is very wealthy, it seems that the heroine is truly in love with him. So even if he was broke, she he's already kind of weird and dark and he like stares into space and trails off and and gets just strange around her. And she still loves him. She just wants to crack that egg open and understand everything about him because she just thinks he's the bee's knees. She's a puppy looking for affection. She is. Soon they're visited by his sister and a host of neighbors and friends. And they all really just are curious as to what this new wife is like. Mm -hmm. They're all just nosy. And they all seem disappointed in various ways. Beatrice is Max's sister. Beatrice's husband is Giles. Um, One day, Beatrice picks up our girl to visit Max's other living relative, an 86-year-old granny. It's been lovely there this month, I said, drawing nearer to Max's grandmother. The roses are in bloom now. I wish I had brought you some. Yes, I like roses, she said vaguely, and then peering closer at me with her dim blue eyes. Are you staying at Manderley too? I swallowed. There was a slight pause. Then Beatrice broke in with her loud, impatient voice. Grand, darling. You know perfectly well she lives there now. She and Maxim are married. The nurse put down her cup of tea and glanced swiftly at the old lady. She had relaxed against the pillows, plucking at her shawl, and her mouth began to tremble. You talk too much, all of you. I don't understand. Then she looked across at me, a frown on her face, and began shaking her head. Who are you, my dear? I haven't seen you before. I don't know your face. I don't remember you at Manderley. B, who is this child? Why did not Maxim bring Rebecca? I'm so fond of Rebecca. Where is dear Rebecca? There was a long pause, a moment of agony. I felt my cheeks grow scarlet. The nurse got to her feet very quickly and went to the bath chair. I 
want Rebecca? Repeated the old lady. What have you done with Rebecca? Beatrice rose clumsily from the table, shaking the cups and saucers. She too had turned very red and her mouth twitched. I think you had better go, Mrs. Lacey, said the nurse, rather pink and flustered. She's looking a little tired, and when she wanders like this, it sometimes lasts a few hours. She does get excited like this from time to time. It's very unfortunate it should happen today. I'm sure you will understand, Mrs. DeWinter. She turned apologetically to me. Of course, I said quickly. It's much better we should go. Beatrice groped for our bags and gloves. The nurse had turned to her patient again. Now what is this all about? Don't you want your nice watercress sandwich that I've cut for you? Where's Rebecca? Why did not Maxim come and bring Rebecca? So it's obvious Rebecca left a huge impression on everyone in Max's world, a Never huge positive right. impression. Mm-hmm. And this just makes the heroine feel more inadequate. Yep. She will never live up to Rebecca's standards, even the um the, the granny, Mrs. Rebecca. Yeah, she, she might was, not know much, but she knows you ain't Rebecca. <laughs> she was really living in this woman's shadow, but yeah. Now, the grounds of Manderley really live up to the hype. They are beautiful. I mean, there are rolling meadows and gardens upon gardens, flowers you've never seen, flowers you've seen, but in such grand, uh, you know, heights and colors, vivid colors, because she she had never seen them like that before. Exactly. And then it rolls into the sea. So it's it's just um, like a, what does she call it? A valley of happiness. Yes. On one of her walks with Jasper in this valley of happiness, she discovers a boathouse uh, where a man lives with a mental disability. He doesn't live there. He just lives on the grounds. They allow him to live on the grounds because he was one of the workers like kid. Yep. And he tells her that he likes her a lot more than the tar- tall, dark one than Rebecca the one that threatened to place him in an asylum. She won't come back here no more, he says. She's down there. He repeats that a lot. Mm -hmm. She won't come back here no more. You won't put me in an asylum, will you? She won't come back here no more. She's down there. So what happened to Rebecca? Well, the story goes, Rebecca went out one night sailing. She's been sailing her entire life, and she was a pro at it. She went out one night sailing and got caught under the boat. So the boat capsized. She got caught under it, drowned, under the sail, drowned. Her body washed up weeks, if not months later. Her arms torn off, her clothes gone. Mm -hmm. Max went to identify her body alone. He spent the rest of his days pacing up and down the library Mm -hmm. at all kinds of hours at night. Just very disheveled because he was madly in love with Rebecca, everyone says. So when he went and discovered her body in the state that it was in, and then he had to bury her in the family crypt, it really tore at him. Beatrice, his sister, says he was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. So this new wife, even though she may disappoint, she's innocent. She's young. She'll bring new life to his world. And they said she did that. Um, there were sections in here where it says he looks better. He looks well. His Beatrice comments often that he looked a lot better than mm-hmm. he did a few weeks ago. Yeah. Or last year when he was near that breakdown. 
So at this point, our girl's entire existence, and she's happy with this, is <laughs> for uh, the betterment of Max. Puppy love. Yeah. Max seems very uninterested in making her better and making her happier. He's very much in his own head, in his own world. We can talk about that. Mm. <sighs> One day on her many walks, she sees something happening in the West Wing from outside. So the curtains move. She walks in. And there's a man speaking to Mrs. Danvers. You'll remember Mrs. Danvers is the tall, dark uh, housekeeper, keeper of the home. And the man calls Mrs. Danvers, who our girl is terrified of, Danny. He keeps throwing that around. Oh, Danny, so blah, casual. blah, blah, Danny. Mm -hmm. um, our girl sees them first in the window of the West Wing from outside and then tries to spy on them, but is caught. And the man introduces himself. What are you doing hiding behind a door, you <laughs> weird idiot? The man's name is Jack Favell. He tells her, don't mention that I was here to your husband, okay? And this whole situation just really disturbs the heroine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She thought it was weird. Mm -hmm. um, one of her unwanted house guests suggests a ball or a gala like the fets that Manderley used to have uh, when Rebecca was alive. And the girl sees this as a way to really cement her place in Max's world. She's the new Mrs. DeWinter and everyone's got to get used to it. She's starting to feel like herself, except for Miss Danvers, who makes her feel so small. She really wants to make a success of her marriage. At one point, she said uh, Beatrice told her that, oh, she doesn't like you because she thinks you're replacing her. So she kind of came Mrs. to Mrs. Danvers terms. doesn't like you because she thinks you're replacing Rebecca. Yeah, she kind of came to terms with the idea that, oh, it doesn't matter. It's not me personally she doesn't like. She wouldn't have liked anybody. Right. So I'm fine the way I mm -hmm. am. And good for her for having a positive attitude. Um, so it becomes a costume party. And the girl is looking for a costume to wear to really impress Max and all of his friends. And she wants them to talk about what a success this new marriage will be. And it's going to be great. And we love this new wife. Did you meet the new wife? Oh, she's great. She was so excited. But she doesn't know what to wear to this party. Well, Mrs. Danvers suggests that she has a costume made in the fashion of one of Max's once glamorous dead relatives whose photo hangs somewhere in the home. And the girl's like, oh, my goodness, why didn't I think of that? She sees this as an olive branch from Mrs. Danvers. So she has this beautiful white dress, wig, and hat made. And the day of the party, she's finally feeling like the lady of Manderley. Before the majority of the guests arrive, when it's only Max, his sister Beatrice, and B's husband, um, Giles, she surprises them by coming down in her costume. She tells the band, play something, 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 and then announce me, <laughs> okay? And they announce Mrs. DeWinter. And she walks down. And everyone looks at her in horror. Max cusses her out. He did. <laughs> Dummy. Oh, the heart. What words. are you doing, you bleepity bleep bleep? Wow. The music stops. <laughs> <laughs> she runs upstairs to her bedroom. And as she's doing so, she gets a glimpse of Mrs. Danvers looking Ooh. victorious. Yes, she smiling. did. Smiling. Our girl runs into her bedroom, cries, takes off her wig and thinks of never coming downstairs like ever again in life. But you must keep up appearances. She's very conscious of keeping up appearances. And so she puts on some of her pauper clothes that she used to have in her <laughs> old life and just comes downstairs with her head high. She makes a success of the party as much as possible, but she doesn't talk to Max for the entire night. 
She felt like Max wasn't talking to her. And it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next day, she confronts Mrs. Danvers, who convinces her to jump out of a window. That was a rough life. <laughs> oh, it right came there. quick. Yeah. My goodness. <laughs> she said, jump. I dare you. It'll be easy. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Mrs. Danvers came close to me. She put her face near to mine. It's no use, is it? She said, you'll never get the better of her. She's still mistress here, even if she is dead. She's the real Mrs. DeWinter, not you. It's you. That's the shadow and the ghost. It's you that's forgotten and not wanted and pushed aside. Well, why don't you leave Manderley to her? Why don't you go? She took my arm and held it like a vice. Why don't you go? She said, we none of us want you. He doesn't want you. He never did. He can't forget her. He wants to be alone in the house again with her. It's you that ought to be lying there in the church crypt, not her. It's you who ought to be dead, not Mrs. DeWinter. She pushed me toward the open window. I could see the terrace below me, gray and indistinct, in the white wall of fog. Look down there, she said. It's easy, isn't it? Why don't you jump? It wouldn't hurt not to break your neck. It's a quick, kind way. It's not like drowning. Why don't you try it? Why don't you go? The fog filled the open window, damp and clammy. It stung my eyes. It clung to my nostrils. I held on to the windowsill with my hands. Don't be afraid, said Mrs. Danvers. I won't push you. I won't stand by you. You can jump of your own accord. What's the use of your staying here at Manderley? You're not happy? Mr. DeWinter doesn't love you. There's not much for you to live for, is there? Why don't you jump now and have done with it? Then you won't be unhappy anymore. Maxim did not love me. Maxim wanted to be alone again with Rebecca. Go on, whispered Mrs. Danvers. Go on. Don't be afraid. I shut my eyes. I was giddy from staring down at the terrace and my fingers ached from holding to the ledge. The mist entered my nostrils and laid upon my lips, rank and sour. It was stifling, like a blanket, like an anesthetic. I was beginning to forget about being unhappy and about loving Maxim. I was beginning to forget Rebecca. Soon I would not have to think about Rebecca anymore. Okay, so but fortunately, before she can act, rockets ascend above Manderley, signifying signaling a ship at sea has run aground part three our final part the lady was a tramp (laughs) (laughs) Ah, what headers you have while recovering the ship divers find a sailboat near the manderley grounds and a body maxim realizes he is caught and he tells our girl the truth Rebecca, you think I loved Rebecca? Ooh. I hated her guts. What? Yeah. Ugh. And you know what, Alexis? He killed her. Dang. <gasps> so. I didn't see that coming. Rebecca. <laughs> she was in them streets. She was a street person. <laughs> she. A few days after their wedding, told Max, look. Five days. 
five days after their wedding was like, this is who I am and this is what I like to do and I'm going to keep doing it. So this is what you can do. You can divorce me and shame you, your family, your name. All of that. Or two, I'll be the perfect wife and everyone that you know, have ever known and ever will know will love me. I'll make Manderley the picture paradise that it never has been. And in exchange, you look away as I do what I do. I'm going to do my dirt. So what you want? And Max being, in my opinion, the weak man that he is. I mean, he had a name to uphold, so yeah. his, he didn't want to selfishly. Mm-hmm. Manderly was more important to him. Yes. Manderly was everything. Mm-hmm. That had been in his family for generations, for yep. centuries. It, it was his legacy, his family's legacy. So he never wanted to bring shame or publicity to Manderly. Right. So he agrees to this contract but one night and so like part of that is she starts to spend nights in the cottage alone so the idea was part of her plan if you will the life that she led yeah she would go away to london do all her dirt there but just come back and be regular but london was far and you know she wanted to do her dirt close to home (laughs) yeah so she started like she started bringing people to the cottage which was on manderley grounds and he said okay that's enough i want a divorce and she said, you want a divorce? Well, I got news for you. I'm going to have a son and you're going to raise him and you're going to love raising him, ain't you? And then he going to take you gonna your, feel? and then he going to own Manderly mm. and all your money. <laughs> and so Maxim, torn by this terrible woman and her proclivities, shoots her. Dead? He shot her dead. Shot her dead. Shot her dead and um, put her body in a boat and then sunk the boat. And also, he still, he like didn't even like make the boat far away from the house. It got caught (laughs) on something. No, 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 no. He did say I should have sent it out further. (laughs) But I feel like something happened that made him not go further. Further than waiting distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whatever. He did the best he could. It was murdering somebody. (laughs) So our girl has just heard that her husband is a murderer. And you know what she feels? (laughs) Revived, renewed. He hated Rebecca. I can make him a, a success of this marriage yet. And so, uh, wow, it is decided by jury that Rebecca must have committed suicide. She must have shot herself. No, the the bullet went through her body. I still and plus feel there like was a skeleton. So there was no the bullet did not hit bone. So we are to believe that there is no evidence of a gunshot. Right. So they assume that she committed suicide. So her cousin, Jack Favell, the one who uh, was quote unquote sneaking around in the house mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. shows up at Max's door after the jury's verdict and he's like I want you back oh he's drunk he's a drunk <laughs> because also. he's yeah he is an alcoholic and um, he's just per- always drunk and he was but he's like really Rebecca. drunk now he was so Rebecca was his cousin but they were kissing cousins if you know what I'm saying. You hear that? And folks? so um, he comes cousin. to the house and he goes, Max, you've always been jealous of me and my cousin. <laughs> um, so I know you killed her, Max. I know you you killed her, Max. <laughs> you, I hate you. <laughs> and Max is like, okay, look, I'm not going to do this with you. And so Max co- calls up the local magistrate, Colonel Julian. 
Um, Colonel Julian investigates and finds that on the day of her death, Rebecca went up to London to visit a Dr. Baker. So they all take a road trip to London the next day to visit this Dr. Baker. Remind me, did not Mrs. Danvers go? No, she did not go. Okay. She stayed at home Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and acted weird. But I'm glad you mentioned Mrs. Danvers because during the investigation, they asked Mrs. Danvers to come in and they interrogate her about Rebecca and who Rebecca was. Mm -hmm. And um, Jack, the cousin, is like, Daddy, tell him Rebecca loved me and we were lovers. And um, Mrs. Danvers is like, she loved a lot of people and she didn't care about any of you. And it becomes clear that Mrs. Danvers. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Danvers was unbalanced in her feelings for Rebecca. Obsessed with the woman. Oh, very. Mm -hmm. And she currently, even after she's dead, uh, like sniffs her clothes and stuff. Maintains a whole room (laughs) unchanged since the last night she wore her nightgown. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So they all take a road trip to London and they meet Dr. Baker. And this is when my brain got ahead of the characters in the book. Like, you idiots, don't you see what's going to (laughs) happen? Okay. Okay. So um, it turns out now the cousin is feeling vindicated. Like I know what it was. My cousin was having my baby. She must have told you, Max, and you shot her out of jealousy. So he's eager to go to the, he's drinking and driving and on his way to London. And they all meet Dr. Baker and Dr. Baker goes to winter. I didn't see a patient to winter that day, but I did see a Mrs. Danvers. Rebecca used a fake name. Dun, dun, dun. Pregnant? No, Rebecca was infertile. She could not have children. Ooh. She had cancer. Stage four. Months to live. Months. It becomes clear to Max that Rebecca committed suicide in a way. Mm-hmm. She angered him on purpose, knowing that if she pushed him past the brink, she, he would shoot her. He would shoot her dead. Because her biggest fear in life was suffering to death. She wanted to go quick, she told Mrs. Danvers, at the height of her beauty and vitality. Anyway, so they all walk out of the doctor's office and the cousin is like, whoo, that was a lot. Oh my goodness, I didn't expect it. He's leaning against the car and his first question is, his first question is, is cancer contagious? (laughs) (laughs) And then he comes to a little bit. He goes, listen, Max, you think you won, but we're going to get you. We're going to get you in another way. Yeah, we're going to get you. That makes Max feel weird. Yeah. And so Max is like, I know Manderley is a far way away, but how about we don't stop at an inn and we just go straight there? So him and his bride. And vibes he was Get in the car and they're racing quickly to Manderley. They only stop once to make a phone call in which Max learns that uh, Mrs. Danvers has disappeared. She's like packed up all her stuff and left. He's like, well, fine, because I was gonna have to get rid of her anyway, because she's terrifying my new wife, frail thing. (laughs) When they near Manderley, they see what seems to be the northern lights, but out of season. It is Manderley up in flames. Woo, child. I tell you. And it burns to the ground. The end. Let's take a break. Alexis, what did you think of Rebecca? How did you enjoy the story? What's your final verdict? 
Do tell. Okay, so I don't like flowery words. It's all these words to describe a chair, all the <laughs> adjectives to describe a chair, to describe a person, um, to describe the walk down to the coast. A sea of words to describe a puddle. I don't like them. I think they should just be more concise. Yeah. Make the book shorter you. in that way. So I don't like that. And I do feel like the chapters were a little long. And then I don't like a lot of negative talk. And this book is filled with that. A lot of put downs to describe. No, I don't like that. Like her husband was like, you idiot. Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't say it like that. No, he did did say it. He was like, I love you. Nope. He didn't even say that. I'm trying to marry you, you idiot. Yes. And the word dummy and idiot was used throughout. And mostly they were to describe her. And I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. Don't like negative talk. She also used them to describe herself. She also used them to (laughs) describe her step. She also used them. And I don't like that. And like I said, it's not that it's not a well-written book. I just don't like it. So with that being said, I'm, I would not recommend it to others. Mm. I would just stick to the movie. I feel like the movie is concise. Now, the thing is, this movie is very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of Hitchcock's best, in my opinion. Um, so I understand where you're coming from. It Reading this book, I don't think you're missing anything Um any necessary elements of the book by watching the movie. He, in a more economical fashion, definitely tells this story in a complete, in its entirety, but in a shorter form. And the movie's not really short, but I got you. Mm -hmm. I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's far more concise. It leaves out all the extras. Cuts the fat. Mm -hmm. And we don't, I personally don't think you need them. So while I'm glad I read it, um, since it's considered a classic, I would not read it a second time and I would not ask my friends to read it. (laughs) Okay. As much as I love reading, Bakari, Mm -hmm. what is your final take on it? So um, I have felt the same way reading a book. You are saying far too much described, far too little. But the flowery language here, I felt like Daphne really painted beautiful word pictures. She really made this a state of Manderley. She brought color to it to me um, when she's describing people, when she's describing Mrs. Danvers and you just feel how she's shaking Mrs. Danvers hand. And it's like shaking the hand of a skeleton. And this woman is looking down on her with disgust and she's your employee in this new world that you're not prepared for. I liked the way she described um, the world and the people. It was a lot. <laughs> But I thought it was, um, it, it for me felt like a very fun read. Um, yeah, so the language fun. wasn't antiquated, so that helps. That does help. And this is not a very um, intellectual book. No. The words are very simple. Mm-hmm. The dialogue is very simple. Everything's easy to grasp and, and understand. So if you're coming off of a book that maybe is very... Um, that puts the lit in literature and you just need a break for your brain. <laughs> I would totally recommend Rebecca. The story's really? good. It has two twists. I love a twist. Great suspense. The fact that he, he, when he said, you thought I loved Rebecca, I hated her. <laughs> also, I shot her. Um, and then, you know, Rebecca's waving, um, throwing the sun in his face, but it turns out she couldn't even have children. Right. 
And instead she was sick and she wanted him to kill her. I liked it. I thought it was all believable. It wasn't far-fetched. The, wow. the dialogue was... Um, believable. The dialogue was just five-star quality. I love good dialogue. And when Mrs. Danvers is trying to make... Uh, our heroine jump out the window Ooh, i was thinking yeah. girl yeah jump it sounds great no that's the language it was it was just convincing <laughs> it was brilliant that whole scene was so intense and i felt the tension and i felt like why is this woman able to get you so close because she's weak mentally to jumping out of the window you had really considered it but for she- where are her prospects? Where is her future? This marriage, this man was to be the future that saved her from a prospectless life. But at this point, she feels this marriage is a failure. So now I have nothing. My whole way. world, my whole purpose in life is tied to making Max happy. And Ooh. I don't make Max happy. And Danvers is providing a way out for me. Why don't I jump into this beautiful garden that well, Rebecca designed? Also, she hadn't even had, they weren't communicating. Never once did they sit down face to face and have a conversation. To Max's credit, he was nothing but consistent. It was never a time when he was never the won. friend that the boon companion that this girl fell in love with. And then he became closed off. He was always closed off and weird. Mm-hmm. She was coming from nothing. And at least he was something. It was either him or being a hired um, aide or companion to Mrs. Van Hopper or whatever her name is. Sure, sure. That's a better life for her. <laughs> but the idea. Nah. Okay, so would I recommend it? Absolutely. Now, if you want to talk about character flaws, this book was billed as a romance. Daphne du Maurier hated that because she never, wanted, she never wanted this to be called a romance. It isn't a romance. Where is the romance? This is a beautifully dark and disturbing Very book. dark. Very fun to read. Very just, uh, ooh, scandalous. I loved it. Um, Max smokes scandalous. over 25 cigarettes a day. Yes. He calls this woman an idiot. Mm. He's impatient. He's aloof. He's self-absorbed. She's trying to explain to him, I'm shy. I'm making an effort to meet, to know your he friends, but like I'm shy. Child. And he's like, he does. And he's like, you're shy. Just work through it. What do you mean shy? Shut up, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that's him. Yep. And then but she also fell in love with that. She fell in love with it. Absolutely. She's a young girl. She didn't know. <laughs> she didn't know. No but, I, but out of that, the story says that she became a woman within 24 hours. You know, she kind of had a, a maturity put upon her because she had these experiences. Her near death. She was going to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. The embarrassment of putting on the dress of the dead the previous dead wife, mm-hmm. right? All of those things made her stronger, right? Is that what they were saying? So what I got is that she became a woman within 24 hours because she had to go through the through the humiliation of knowing Mrs. Danvers got one on over her that by um, convincing her to wear a dress that Rebecca had worn before she died. And also because she found out her husband was a murderer. All of these things made her grow up. More important to her, not that her husband was a murderer, but that her husband did not love his previous wife. She didn't care anything about the murder. And she just as said so. She said, 
I learned Mexican. But just on the path of what made her grow up, it these was the, were the things that made her grow up. Quickly. I didn't love. But she, but that's that's okay. So this is why I like the book. I believe that Daphne is on our side. That these people in this book, you're not supposed to like any of them. Our protagonist is weak. Daphne doesn't even give her a name. That all of that makes me believe that she, the author wants us to believe this woman is not worth fighting for. So all of your anxiety and righteousness about the way he treats her, who cares? Because she's barely a person. Rebecca is more of a person and Rebecca's dead. And Jay described her as such. Like she was great. Actually, I was looking at something and they were like, well, only he said she was um, a bad person. Because he knew who she was, truly. Yeah. Nobody else said that. Also, was it a lie? <laughs> you can be one. So who are you? Are you who you are in private or are you who you are in public? Mm. You are who you are in private. Mm. She was a disgusting person. <laughs> <laughs> However, our knight in shining armor, Max, he too is this. He's a murderer. There is nothing that she did mm. that warranted death. This was a woman of loose morals, but you chose to stay with her. You chose to be the cuckold. You chose because you wanted to protect your family's name. And now she's having a son. Yeah, that happens sometimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this masquerade that you're down for, you agreed to it. You could have always walked away. You chose not to. Correct. So when you shot her, I have no sympathy for you. You are a dark, twisted, disturbed man. Yeah, they all were. They all were. So these flawed characters and this dark story it does not a romance make. It does not. It is to be a little twisted, a little messed up. And I loved that about it. <laughs> how it starts, how the end of the book starts at the beginning. So I didn't go into this, but when she says that opening line, last night I dreamed I went to Manderley again. She describes how it's basically in ashes. Mm -hmm. And she talks way too much about the path leading up to Manderley, yep. the garden, the flowers. Flowery I'm with words. you there. Mm -hmm. But we do get from her story that they're now living in hotel after hotel, yep. resort after resort, in these far off lands where no one knows him because he's embarrassed by the burning of the the uh, destruction of his family's estate. A part of him is changed forever. Sure. And this was written, I think, when Daphne was in Egypt with her husband, mm -hmm. who I believe was um, in service in the military um, at this time. But she kind yes. of felt detached mm -hmm. from all those traditional English activities and even the foods. Right. And, um, so our heroine in the beginning is remembering that brief moment when everything was perfect, when everything, when Manderley was intact, but nothing was ever perfect. And she's making it something it wasn't. This life with this man is always going to be, she will always be the child in this relationship. She's going to make it in her mind a success. Yeah. I guess that's what people got to do. I did like how she waked up after her faux pas. Wait. Her woke, how she woke up after her faux pas and decided that in public they would be the perfect couple, but in private she'll she'll be the only one to know that Max doesn't love her. It was the reverse of Rebecca who decided that in public they would be the perfect couple, and in private she wouldn't love Max. <laughs> She'd love everyone else, and he agreed to it. 
So this keeping up appearances is definitely a theme throughout the book. Yep. I enjoy that play. And then um, again, I thought the language was fun. So I would definitely recommend Rebecca. Well, there you have it, folks. That is the final verdict. I want to thank you for listening to Lit Society. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast providers. <laughs> if you like what you heard today, tell a friend. Visit LitSocietyPod.com and sign up for the world's best newsletter. Until okay. next time, read something. Read something.